Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Realcom webinar. I'm Sarah Bemperat, and in today's session, we will kick off the corporate real estate um, series. And we will start off with talking about the real estate um, enterprise architecture strategy. Before we get started, let's go over a few housekeeping items. You can use the Q&A section to submit your questions and comments for the panelists, and we'll try to get to all the questions throughout the session. If we don't get back to you during the session, we'll follow up with you after the event. And for the best webinar experience, we recommend that you log out of any other internet applications that are currently running. If you run into any technical issues, you can contact me at sbamperat at realcom.com. We are going uh, through a slide deck throughout the presentation, and you can download a copy of that slide deck from the handout section. And we will also be um, recording the session, and the recording will be available within the next couple of days. The sponsors of today's webinar are PlanOn and RemLogix, and we'll learn more about these companies throughout the session. With that, I'd like to introduce you to the moderator for today's event, Ryan Albo. Uh, Ryan leads Wells Fargo's Corporate Properties Group Technology Strategy. He partners with groups across the, uh, Wells Fargo's um, global footprints to deliver a technology roadmap to support corporate um, properties, real estate, and their strategies. So Ryan, um, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks so much for moderating. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me again. And uh, I'm very excited about uh, today's topic. Um, professionally and personally, it's a, a, to a topic that I think is very important. Um, especially in Wells Fargo, as, as we're looking at our own transformation and, and that roadmap, as, as Sarah stated in the introduction there. Um, we have a, a fantastic uh, group of, uh, of folks who are going to talk to us today. Um, I, I was slotted uh, six minutes to do an opening, but I think um, after reviewing some of the content that they've put together for you all today, I'm going to defer my time uh, to them, uh, and we'll have some great, um, some great conversation, I think. Um, I think Sarah may have mentioned, uh, uh, please submit Q&A. We've got a lot of time, both after each uh, speaker, as well as at the end, we've got some good, uh, a good uh, time for, for Q&A. So please, please submit your questions as you, as you uh, hear uh, folks' uh, presentations. Um, let me start, Jeff, uh, with you, Jeff Peel, uh, the Technical Program Manager uh, uh, inside of Global CRE for AIG. Jeff has 25, over 25 years of uh, industry experience with real estate systems and data management. He currently leads AIG's CRBS data strategy team. Uh, Jeff, you'll have to define that for us. Uh, who is responsible for the global real estate application and data management and reporting solutions. So, a whole lot on your plate, Jeff. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it right over to you and, and have you dive into your presentation. That's great. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, yeah, so again, my name is Jeff Peel. I work in AIG's corporate real estate and business services team. So uh, most of my job is very technical, but I am technically also on the business side. So uh, I kind of overlap both groups. But being in the business allows me more flexibility in, in terms of how we're meeting uh, our clients' needs within real estate. So we're going to talk. Sorry, Jeff, I think we lost your audio. Save your... Can you guys hear me now? Yes, we can. Thank you. There okay. it is. Sorry. Sorry about that. 
So these are the various business processes that our our technology covers with the, in real estate. And I, I think most people are more familiar with the real estate side of it, which is your typical IWMS you know, reservation system. Uh, but outside of that, we've started looking really at integrating a lot more of our data besides just real estate. So we have facilities management, which is more of your building type systems. Global security is, is your badge data. Uh, so obviously that, that's very important to us for utilization purposes. Resiliency, we're starting to do, uh, we integrate with them um, to get some data back as far as business continuity plans. They, they take data from us as far as uh, who's in what buildings for their mass communications, things like that. And then we also have a business services team that, that really do more of your, your administrative type things, print and copy, postage, uh, fleet management, our cars, reservations, and document management, Iron Mountain, that, that sort of thing. So we have a data mart, a data warehouse that we've used historically, but we've, we've really in the last year augmented that with a lot of these other pieces. So instead of just having the real estate side of it, we started pulling in more of the business services things. We've pulled in our badge data for utilization. We also started getting network data. Uh, which which was a little bit different to augment our badge data. So if somebody forgot a badge or if there's a visitor or if you're in a different office for the day, um, you know, you'll get picked up with the network data. So we have both of those solutions together helping us with our utilization. So what I want to talk to you about today is really our real estate strat technology strategy and a project that we're almost finished with. Uh, we're really splitting up our IWMS system that we've had since 2008. Sorry, Jeff, I think you're back on mute. Okay, sorry, that's uh, my headset. So real, really quickly, these are just some of the dashboards that we've also uh, focused on. We, we basically have Power BI as our company solution. So any new dashboards that we're spinning up, we have a corporate real estate and business services page. And these are just some of the dashboards that we're doing. Uh, th this one down here is a return to work dashboard, which we, we just returned to work September 14th. Obviously, utilization is still very low. Uh, it's, it's a combination of people not wanting to go back to the office yet, as well as a combination of maximum occupancy thresholds. We're sort of at 50%, maintaining uh, 50, maintaining six-foot distance, that sort of thing. But this this goes right up to the CEO. He looks at this, uh, you know, as, as he needs to. But this is really where we're going with real estate, and the important thing is really all about getting the data. But before we get the data, let's talk about the front end side of it, which is the applications that we use to support that data. So again, I, I've, for those of you who've heard me speak before, I've always been a huge proponent of IWMS, and I, I still am. But there are challenges with IWMS, as, as some of you may have seen. Uh, but let's talk about the positive. So with an IWMS system, you have a fully integrated system. So as soon as you create a building, or you add a lease and square footage, or you change your space model, who's assigned where, you add a person, that is instantly available across all the modules. And there's a big benefit for having that. Also, I only need to build one set of integrations. So if I'm pulling data in from SAP, I only need to pull that into one system. Uh, we've got a feed from our HR system. So as people are added or, or retired from the system, they automatically get updated. So we only have to do that one time. And then we have a wide range of business processes that we were able to do in our IWMS system because it is so flexible. Uh, I, I won't go through all of those, but there are challenges as well. Um, so our IWMS system, we're not SaaS, we're on-prem. It is it's a little bit older, 
And so there's a lot of customizations and it's difficult to maintain those customizations because thing, things break. And as things break, sometimes we can fix them. A lot of them are just patchwork. And sometimes if, if you change something in one part of the system, it affects everything else in the other part inadvertently. So you, know, you really need to be careful what you're doing. Uh, also, the, the user experience that's kind of been our biggest complaint, the, the graphic interface is sort of outdated and, and we're kind of stuck with that. There's not a lot we can do to, to improve that user experience. Uh, also, because we've, we've had this application installed for so long, a lot of the things that we developed were 10 years ago and we're still using those same processes. And a lot of the people that built those processes have left the company. So that, that creates some issues now as far as supportability and people ask, why are we doing this or why does it work this way? And, and we, we don't always have a good answer for them. So just over time, as your business process has changed, your applications need to sort of catch up with that. And you know, in AIG's case, we also have a separate reservation system. It's 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 somewhat integrated as far as you know when we add a space or floor plan that automatically goes in. But uh, that we also had some challenges with. So what I, what I want to draw your attention to is all these sort of solutions we have are on the financial side. Um, so we'll talk about that. So recently, it was about this time last year. We, AIG was opening three new locations, New York, New Jersey, for our corporate headquarters. And we were asked to find a reservation tool, a mobile application that would basically tie to a reservation tool that would allow people to reserve space, find where people sit, and also submit self-service requests. So we had a reservation system, we have an IWMS system, but we don't really have a mobile tool that sits on both of those that really meets our needs. So we went out to market to see what was available. And what we found was that um, instead of just finding a mobile app, we could also implement a mobile app plus a new system that would could replace parts of our IWMS system for really the same annual spend. So there, there's the one-time implementation cost, but as we started thinking about this and we said, hey, you know what, there's an opportunity for us to kind of solve some of the problems that we've had over the years. So what we decided to do was take the space and moves and facilities part out of our IWS system, bring it into the new system, and replace our reservation tool with the new system. So basically the savings we're getting are, um, well, let's, let's go through it here. So the benefits of this project are we're moving to a SaaS solution. So as we go to SaaS, that means I get to save on development costs. There's less customizations. Uh, it's easier to maintain, uh, thing, things like that. Also, we had some license savings by removing these systems. Uh, so that license savings, really uh, maintenance savings is, is how we were able to, to pay for this. Uh, we got a better, uh, an upgraded reservation system, much better user experience. We also got some new modules that we didn't have um, and as well as a mobile facilities tool. So Lots of benefits to going uh, to our to our new system, uh, but it, it, there are certainly some challenges that go along with that as well. Uh, so, as I mentioned before, in IWMS, the benefits are we only have one set of integrations from HR and SAP. Well, we had to replace those and copy those into the new system. But to be honest, it wasn't quite as painful as, as I thought it was going to be. We we kind of took our same feeds and and moved them over. Uh, the next part is we we have now that we have IWMS and this other system separated, we need we still need to share data across. So we have an API. So as soon as we create a building in one system, it shows up in the other. Uh, same thing with floors and, and that nature. Um, and then we also had something with our move product 
where when we created a move request and it was approved in IWMS, it would create a capital project and we would then manage the financials on that move. So now in the new system, um, when, when a move is complete, actually the error should be going back the other way. When a move is, is completed, it creates a capital project back in IWMS. So that was some of the data sharing. That was a little bit more challenging, but we, we were able to get those things to work. And on the data side, we still had our data warehouse. We had all these great dashboards. And, but the nice thing is that those dashboards were already built on the existing data structure. So all we had to do was really replace how we're populating those existing tables with people, allocations, reservations, facilities, information, or requests. Uh, so all those dashboards still work. And the other neat thing that we did is we, we actually, we still need the allocation. So we moved space into this new system. So now all of our space allocations, but we still need to pull those space allocations back into our lease system in IWMS. So we, we basically created a new routine in the data warehouse that would take all our space allocate, our space data, I should say. We calculate what the allocations are by lease in the data warehouse, and then we push that back into the IWMS system so that everything is complete. So um, definitely some technical work here, but but again, it, it wasn't as awful as I thought it was going to be. Um, when I when I uh, you know I, I've been with AIG for 11 years now, and I've always kind of said that if if we're going to ever replace this IDMS system, I'm going to quit. <laughs> you can find someone else to do it. Uh, but this was a one of the thing, the ways we approached this was we kept the financials out of this, right? The financials is really the complicated part with all those. GL integrations and AP integrations, and we left those where they were, and we're really just focused on space and facilities, which were a little bit easier to lift and separate. So I want to talk about, uh, and this, this is the last slide I've got, just about some of the results of this project and some of the lessons we've learned. So uh, first of all, you know, for any of you who are managing technology, think think out of the box. Don't feel like, hey, I've had this, I'm just stuck with it, and you know, I'm miserable, or I'm, I'm not miserable, I'm not happy, but there's some things we can improve. You know, there, there are ways to improve by maybe going through a different system uh, as an option. So also I, I wanna focus on, you know, the data warehouse is really key in this process. Um, and uh, Darlene is gonna speak a little bit more about integrating data and, and things like that with point solutions and the challenges and why you'd wanna to go to IWMS. And, and to be, be honest, there are certainly a lot of benefits with IWMS, but if you split apart your implementation, you need to be ready to pull that data back together. So one of the things, you know, there were some pet projects that I had that we were also able to pull into this. So lease allocations, for example, had always been a challenge for us because we'd always have that one group that gets 25%, no matter how much the rest of the space fluctuates. So that was always an offline sort of spreadsheet that we thing that we do and then pull that data back in. Now we just, we sort of lock that value in in the front end of the, of the lease system and then we, we incorporate that in our calculation. So that was a big win for us. Um, also, because now we're flattening our allocation tables and we, we kind of got rid of all our relationships and stuff, our payment processing, processing became a lot faster. So, um, you know, five hours to 20 minutes. And then, you know, also we, we were able to augment our data because now we're taking some in integrations into the system from the data warehouse. We were able to pull different pieces. So we could kind of pull in our financial hierarchy and some other data that we've always had available, never really used before. So that, that was a, a nice one for us as well. Um, you know, on the reservation side, we couldn't replace the, the reservation system entirely. There's, there's still some white glove features that our new system doesn't support. Uh, 
so we're going to end up going to a, a new model. Um, you know, so we, we've left some pieces back in there, but it's a much smaller implementation. And then, uh, you know, I, I will say I've, I've never done a, had a, a lot of SaaS that I've supported, but it, it is nice to just have something that just it's out of the box and there it is. And you know, the vendor is responsible for it. It's also nice going back to the users and kind of telling them no uh, when they when they ask for things. So um, th those are also some of the benefits of SaaS. One other thing I'll, I'll talk about here, a lesson learned, is we made some assumptions on savings based on on license reduction and things like that. But because they were on prem. Um, we, the vendor really wouldn't let us out of those, uh, you know, out of some of those contracts. So things to think about is, you know, before you go and you calculate all your savings, just really make sure you review with the vendor and see what your options are. We are able to find savings in other places, so it, it really didn't impact us. Um, in the future, we're going to still continue to look at maybe splitting up our, the remaining part of IWS, the financial side. Capital projects is, is the next obvious one for us that we could probably move out. And transaction management goes along with that. Um, and then possibly lease administration. That, that's really the hard one because of all the financial integrations and lease accounting and things like that. But uh, so lease is most likely going to remain on our current platform. So I think that's everything I've got. Um, Ryan, I'll, I'll put it back to you. See if we have any questions. Yeah, thanks. Uh, that's that's awesome, Jeff. I appreciate it. A lot of great detail in there. Um, I do see an, an audience question here um, around uh, third-party, use of third-party vendors. You touched on it a little bit. Part of the question I want to save until we get to the, to the larger group, because it's got some, I think, some, uh, some good content that the whole group will want to, um, to weigh in on. But with that in mind, and you kind of hit it on it there at the end, but what, what kinds of um, uh, different approaches should should we think about as we embark on this uh, decision making process for, you know, weighing IWMS with point solutions? How, how, what are what's some advice you can give to the group uh, through that process? So there, there's not one size fits all, and you know, again, in the past I would say IWMS, 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 but as we sort of had an opportunity to look at market, there, there's a lot of good point solutions out there, so. You, you really need to approach it from what are you trying to solve? Um, what are your technical capabilities? So if, if you don't have a lot of technical capabilities and the ability to really build integrations and have a team to do that sort of stuff to integrate the data, IWMS probably makes more sense. Uh, also think about what your end solution needs to be. What kind of reports do I, what data needs to be integrated versus what can be separate? As an example, you know, capital projects data sort of sits on its own, or I can, I can still bring it back and do validations to say, uh, you know, are we creating a project? Are we doing refurbishment on a, a site that's, um, you know, coming up for expiration, things like that. That was always the, the big sell on why to go to IWS. You can still do those things with a point solution. So, so think about those things. Um, think about, it, certainly, the reporting side, and I'd recommend a data warehouse, even with IWMS, because uh, a, a lot of systems can be challenging to kind of pull reports from different systems. Whereas if you pull everything into your own proprietary data warehouse, you have a lot more flexibility. Um, re regarding the audience questions about cybersecurity, so our, our AIG IT team is involved in every new software implementation. So they did a, a very thorough review of uh, the security uh, systems that were in place. Um, we've also integrated this product with our our single sign-on, Okta, so that uh, you, you have to go through that to sign into the application. So um, yeah, we, we, we definitely took a look at the security before we implement it. 
Awesome. Yeah, and I'll have some follow-up questions there at the end when we get into a into a group. Um, you'd mentioned, I think, uh, in your intro that you, you'd been uh, at AIG for 17 years, I think it was. 11. When when you got there, <laughs> 11. Okay, sorry, uh, sorry, uh, Mr. Um, when you got there, was this idea, IWMS in place already, or is it something that you had had helped put into place, and now you're backing out? And then, how long does the road? How long does your roadmap go out into the future? How, how long? How far are you guys looking out? So uh, the the IW I joined back in 2010. This IWMS system was in place, but we we added a lot to it. Right, we created the data warehouse, we implemented a move module, uh, we we expanded the facilities, we did a global rollout. So there there's a lot. You know, lease accounting came a couple of years ago. So there, there's a lot that we've done to to always improve. Um, you know, our roadmap we we probably go out. Uh, to be honest, it it, it changes so quickly. Um, the roadmap we put out is is really two years. These are the things that we we try to show that this is what we want to accomplish in these two years. But rarely do we ever kind of hit that roadmap, and, and things change so frequently. So I, I'd say the next six months is is what I kind of propose show to management and say these are the things that we're really focused on and trying to hit. Uh, beyond that are more nice to haves, and and this is what we want to think about in the future. Awesome, thank you. Um, we'll be hearing from Jeff a little bit later. Uh, but let, let's uh, turn our focus now to uh, to Keith. Uh, Keith uh, Berkoven uh, is a senior software engineer at Google. Um, uh, with 15 years of experience in Internet of Things and seven years focused on the building system side. In his role, Keith is responsible for the design and implementation of technology to accumulate, analyze, and act upon data at scale across Google's real estate portfolio. Keith is also one of the creators of the open source digital buildings ontology and tool set. Keith, it's great to see you again. I know in our initial meeting uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, you were doing it from a camper. I see you finally made your way back to, uh, uh, to, to uh, uh, a city perhaps, or at least your apartment. So uh, thank you and welcome and uh, the floor is yours. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Can I you hear think, me now? There you yeah. go. Yeah. Sure can. Yeah. Um, yeah. So first, I want to thank Jeff for basically confirming everything I'm about to say. Um, he had some really good points, um, especially related to um, one of the points that I thought was really interesting was the um, idea that I, IWMS will often uh, allow you to outsource and de-risk some of the um, really difficult complexity of certain uh, certain processes in your business, particularly when it has to do with like financial things or regulation. Um, so so I thought that was a really good point. Um, and also the way um, you know he is uh, seeing his systems kind of decompose um, at AIG is uh, very similar to what we're seeing at Google. Um, and so uh, being the technology, um, probably the most technology focused person on the panel, uh, I really wanted to uh, dig into kind of the first principles of of how to deal with change, because obviously in our uh, new world, change is normal. Uh, it was always normal, but we uh, like to pretend that it wasn't. Um, and now it's it's very much in your face. And so, um, 
what uh, what we've learned at Google is that you you really have to expect change as being core to um, you know to what you're doing, and that you have to design with flexibility in mind because uh, when you come uh, after the fact and try to change something and you hadn't thought about the flexibility, it becomes much more expensive um, to and difficult to deal with. Um, and so some of the things that we think about uh, at Google um, are first open standards. Um, one of the things that is really difficult when you get have some third party system, right, is to, um, you know, to try to integrate with it and realize that everything is proprietary and nobody knows how to use it. Um, so uh, erring on the side of systems that provide you, uh, you know, open authentication me uh, mechanisms that you understand that have APIs that are well supported and standards compliant and that uh, if you're dealing with the IoT, you use um, some kind of standard that, um, that at least you understand. Um, the other thing uh, that we've, we found to be very important, and I'll talk about a little case study in a minute, um, is having microservices. So basically everything in your, your ecosystem needs to have some sort of supported API or way to interface with it in a structured way. Um, if it doesn't, um, it becomes an island and that becomes a big problem um, when you're trying to d share data in for uh, operational purposes as opposed to you know data analytics where you could you know still dump that data to a data warehouse. And then the final one um, that we found to be really important is is data governance. Um, and this uh, you know somebody mentioned uh, or had a question about you know, what can you do with, um, or how does the amount of software expertise, um, you know, uh, in your company affect what you do here? Um, and it's true that, you know, if you don't have a lot of software expertise, you're gonna be buying a lot more SaaS, a lot of third-party uh, standards, um, third-party systems. Um, but one thing that you can and should do, even if you have, almost no uh, IT capability in your company is data governance, uh, making sure that you have single source of truth for any data element and that operationally you're keeping data fresh and clean and conforming to some model that you have consciously designed um, for your data. Uh, and that means that when you do decide to use a piece of data in the future, um, it's easy to use rather than, um, you know, you having to spend an enormous amount of time cleaning up the data before you can do anything. Um, and we've had a, actually a real, real example of this is uh, in at Google, we have an application to help uh, security personnel find uh, camera feeds, security camera feeds in response to alarms more quickly um, using spatial data. And um, probably 75% of the time we spent on implementing that application was cleaning up the CAD data so that it was actually good enough to use. And so uh, if there was an operational, and now we have an operational process in place that uh, automatically uh, deals with that. But um, 
you know, we having never used that data before, we went in and we found that all of the CAD data was just a mess and that, um, and that we had to clean it up. And so if you prevent that uh, through standards and operational process that keep your data clean in the first place, um, then new applications become a lot easier. Uh, next slide. So um, this is a case study of something I actually worked on, um, which is our return to office. And so uh, Google is, uh, you know, very conscientious when it comes to, you know, following government regulations and best practices and things like that. And so um, when it came time to bring people back to the office, um, there was an enormous amount of complexity that we had to manage um, in terms of um getting people back in the doors safely uh and following all the rules um and so we had uh we also uh learned about the fact that we had to do this i think from you know uh the ceo saying something publicly um so it was a bit of a um you know a bit of a scramble and we had three three months effectively to build the system that supported uh you know verifying health checks doing granular access control because uh we changed our whole access control model to make sure that uh we uh were able to potentially isolate any outbreaks that that happened um reconfiguring all of our space for social distance distancing and uh creating a desk booking system that never existed before. Um, there are five different verticals in the company that were involved in this, um, you know, all, and all the way up to VPs. Um, we needed three new full stack applications um, and integrated with four different enterprise systems, one of which was an IWMS, one was security system, one was an HR system, um, and one was some guest management system. Um, and what we, what really made this possible is that we had already um, abstracted away our idea WMS behind uh, a couple of APIs that were very well known, um, standards compliant, had standard authorization. Um, we ended up, and we were halfway into doing this for the security system. And we ended up fi finishing that process. Um, and um, and similarly for the HR system. And that allowed us to um, you know, build in a sandbox with, with very well-known um, boundary walls uh, and allowed us to move very, very quickly and do an integration that was extremely complex. Um, and what ended, ultimately ended up happening is that anything that did not have that nice um, abstraction layer, um, we we dropped off of the project because it, it ended up being too costly to deal with it. Um, and anything that uh, you know we had to to do something that was custom and non-standard um, from the API perspective, um, we ended up uh, putting a manual process in uh, to deal with it because it was actually easier. Um, and so the, the, big, um, the big take home message here is um, care about your data and, and that it's clean and well, well understood and um, bias towards things that have um, good APIs that allow you to integrate systems 
um, ad hoc uh, without too much trouble. And so I think that is all that I had to say. Um, and so I'll leave some time for questions. Yeah, thanks, Keith. Good, good stuff. Um, you kind of touched on it there at the end, but in terms of microservices, which I know you and I had discussed at some length previously, um, are you finding across the industry solution providers that they, that you're seeing this as an offering, or are we still not quite there yet, generally? Well, so, I mean, it depends how pedantic you are about your definition of microservice. Um, I think it is becoming more common that solution providers uh, have well-supported APIs into their systems, but depending on what the system is, it's, you know, arguable whether or not it's a microservice. Um, you know, and for, for example, we have uh, an IWS that we put uh, an API on top of, and that API uh, slices off, you know, one relatively narrow portion of what that IWMS, um, you know, handles internally and, and provides it as an API. We call it our facilities API, and it has things like, you know, what rooms exist and their space types and things like that. Um, I would call that a microservice. There's also a not very well supported or easy to use API for the IWMS itself. Um, I would not call that a microservice. Um, and so I think APIs are becoming more common. Uh, microservices tend to not be something that companies think of as a uh, first principle. It's more like I need to expose an API for my service. Um, and depending on the service, that may or may not be micro. Yeah, excellent. Okay, great. And then, you know, one thing we didn't cover last time, and, uh, and you got me thinking there when you started talking about data governance, uh, I agree. That's a, that's a crucial component uh, to all of this. Um, have you found that the implementation of microservices makes the data governance and the in, in, ensuring that we have data integrity and quality more difficult or is it, or is it easier? What, what would be your sense no. there? So I think it's easier because humans can only deal with so much complexity. Um, so to take an example from the Digital Buildings Project, uh, which um, which I do a lot of work on. So this is our uh, open source ontology for um, for modeling uh, buildings and, and building data, um, which you can find on GitHub. Um, we uh, originally started with HVAC data. And uh, for anyone who knows the HVAC world, it's you know very very complex and and heterogeneous in terms of the systems that that you find. And what we realized is that we were only really good at modeling things that we had concrete examples or concrete use cases for. And I think if you think about if you think about microservices in the same way, oh, and so sorry um, for the digital buildings project. What we ended up doing as a rule is saying, okay, we're not going to go out and try to model everything. We're only going to start modeling it once we have a use for it. And um, microservices kind of follow that same model. Is that if you're going to create a microservice, it's very narrow, right? And so when you're thinking about a narrow vertical, um, it's easier to reason about it and and make good choices about what you want that to look like 
um, rather than trying to do that for every single piece of data in your entire universe all at once, which is very overwhelming. Yeah, excellent. I, I think we can probably take this off <laughs> uh, a lot of different directions. There's a, there's a lot there that I'd love to be able to unpack. Maybe it's a, a future a future work with you. But thank you, Keith, for your time. Uh, Keith will be back uh, with us on the uh, group panel here at, at the end. So um, please continue to feed your questions in, and we've got some we've got some good ones coming up. Thank thank you, Keith. Um, before we move on to our our next uh, panelist. Um, we're going to see a quick video by RemLogix. Why are the technologies that are supposed to make your life simple such a burden to maintain? Next World is different. It's a complete suite of enterprise solutions built on a no-code development platform. The same platform that is used to build and extend applications to fit your business. From customizations that merge seamlessly with future upgrades, to applications that automatically enhance with the latest features and functionality you rely on. NextWorld simplifies your IT landscape without disrupting your business. We're ERP Redefined. All right, it looks like we're back. Uh, it cut, cut off for me a little bit early, Donnie, so maybe you can help us uh, find that again uh, on your website or something like that. But uh, um, thank you, uh, uh, Donnie Law, uh, CEO and Chief Software Architect for RemLogix. Uh, Donnie has uh, 29, over 29 years of experience in enterprise real estate management software development and best practice implementations. As a thought leader, he is often sought out for advice and recommendations. Uh, thank you again, Donnie. I think uh, we'll take you up on that offer, uh, uh, both now and uh, when we're done with the uh, panelists and get into the group. So uh, the floor is yours. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. I uh, appreciate your time today. And, you know, great discussion so far from the from the other panels. I know that there's a lot of information from, from everybody that's on here. So it's a great group of people to be with. And so what I'm going to talk about today, uh, kind of continue that on the, the technology side, is a modern architecture and some of the trends that we're seeing and what it's out there for, for customers, for, for these organizations that's looking to make a change. You know, you can kind of hit the reset button based on, you know, what's kind of happened over the last year and a half. So a, a lot of companies are kind of looking at their technology structure, some great stuff there that Jeff is doing at AIG, what they're looking at. And, you know, I know there's, there's plenty of others out there that are doing the same thing. So they're looking at a modern technology architecture. And a couple things uh, I wanted to focus in on around that uh, today is uh, you know, basically four things around the separation of your architecture and applications, uh, mobile ready, that's not just handheld, that's mobile for mobile office, an advanced stack, which is a little different than your, your, uh, your single stack or your best of breed, and your no-code ERP platform. So companies are basically right now just looking at their architecture, looking at their structures in place, and deciding if they want to stay with uh, that technology or you know, be the same old, same old, or look for something different. So now's kind of a, that reset button they've been able to hit and kind of look at their technology and, and move from that. So I wanted to get into you know, what, does, what does modern technology architecture, what does that really mean? So we're going to cover these four topics real quick and kind of give you a good idea. Whoops, looks like I went ahead one too many there. 
So the first thing I want to talk about is the separation of architecture and applications. You know, that's the, one of the advantages of the modern technology and the modern architecture that's out there today. You know, a lot of people have a lot of the, uh, the, uh, the on-prem solutions. There's some SaaS uh, applications out there as well. But those that are built for the cloud, they kind of take into account the, the, the kind of that modern technology that we're talking about, or that architecture. They actually look at separating the architecture or the technology uh, uh, underneath with the application. And like, what, is, you know, what does that mean? It's like it's metadata driven. So metadata is the DNA to your applications, to your data, the functionality, your user interface, all of that. So they're looking at implementing that as a layer rather than having it all together. So we all know what it's like. You have your applications, you have them built, uh, everything, all the technologies together. And when we talked a little bit about this, you know, Keith did with, uh, you know, what these things you're looking for, you know, and Jeff did as well in these in these uh, platforms, these applications. But you're, but all these are kind of uh, integrated together. So if there's a change in the technology, I want to have an API. I want to integrate to a third party. I want to make changes to my applications. It's not an easy lift. It, it's actually a heavy lift in a lot of areas. And these modern architecture technologies, a lot that we are working with now and we're, we're working with customers on, is uh, those platforms that actually allow you to, to do these very easily. So they're sustainable customization. So that customization is not a dirty word anymore. You can actually make those in a completely SaaS model with some modern with the modern architecture that allows you to make those changes and they merge right into the SaaS. So you can customize have your own flavor, your own field applications, and still be in a fully SaaS-supported model, and you're not on an island by yourself. And those platforms also have API integration built in. They have tools built in so they can integrate to anything. You're not stuck with just uh, using a third party to try to integrate or try to make something integrate that's not meant to. These platforms are meant to integrate. That's what they're built out of the box for. So they give you a lot of flexibility around on-the-fly expansion of your data, your data items, add to tables, you know, the DNA of your applications or through the metadata. So it extends that life. So you have a life of the application that goes longer than just a few years or longer than just the life of your developer that's there and leaves. Now you have to go in and, and kind of re-engineer some of this after the fact. So these platforms give you a lot of a lot of advantages and what we call a future proof of your data. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that, that future proof here in just a second. And also these, these modern uh, platforms also uh, basically uh, pretty much put mobility at the forefront. So with the changes we've all made in our lives over the last year and a half, uh, we saw a lot of customers that had to go back, look at their architecture, look at their structure, and basically where they had a few people uh, out of the office and they need to give access, now they have the whole organization that is remote. How do I tackle that? How do I make all my systems available without going, going in and restructuring everything? And that was a challenge for a lot of, lot of corporations to do. A lot of these platforms that they've decided to look at now have that built in. It's built in so it can communicate to your CRM, maybe your marketing department, or maybe your, your, your Teams, uh, your, your, uh, your Zoom, your GoToMeeting, things like that, that are built in so you can have those collaborations with uh, the other members of your organization but it's kind of built into the architecture so you can implement uh, those as you need to. So what we like to say as life happens, you're able to adjust uh, with, with, that, uh, with that change. And one of the big parts of those platforms uh, that we are working with are no-code ERP platform. So it's, it's not, your, not your typical platform, it's not your typical ERP platform where I have my, my core functionality, but they're platforms that are built on no-code, built on the technology that allows for integration. That's what we're working with. That's what we're looking for in the future. And that's what we're looking to bring into the, the real estate area. 
So if you look at this now, 41% of organizations are already using a no or low code platform. So it's starting to, to pick up quite, quite heavily. 84% of those no code, low code platforms reduce their cost and 91% of companies with no low code platforms use them to promote innovation. But one thing this helps us right now. So in, in, in your typical organization, one of the biggest things on the IT side heavy in their plate when a lot of the, the, the users are remote is how do I continue to build my applications and have collaboration with those, with those uh, end users, with the different parts of the business. And so with these uh, no-code platforms, they actually allow you to push that out to your, your subject matter experts can actually build, they can prototype, they can build their own applications in this SaaS model and then have IT oversee. IT looks at it. They, they confirm that the, the standards are met. They confirm the data structure is where it needs to be. Again, it's all metadata, so it's not really going in creating databases. It's not going in creating actual code itself. It's generated behind the scenes on these no-code platforms. So it allows you to push that out, and now it's easier to collaborate because we know on, on the IT side that one of the hardest things to do on a remote setting is to get everybody together, get through all the requirements, and then work through those requirements through prototyping. It, it's, it's tough to do. These modern platforms allow make that much easier, push that out to the actual uh, subject matter experts to actually pull all these pieces together. Makes it much easier in the, in the process to do that. And then my last slide here, I just want to kind of wrap up on, again, it's not uh, your typical uh, kind of your uh, MR, uh, or sorry, ERP. It's actually completely different where you have what we call advanced stack, which is basically the ability to have a single stack application. So you've got all your financials, your real estate management, job costs, things like that, but it's also open. So it can connect to uh, third-party financials. It can connect to other uh, API type of, of uh, systems that you want to connect to. So anything out of the box that has a standard SOAP uh, REST endpoint, these platforms can communicate with. Again, they're built out of the box to do that. They're able to create the, the connection to, like I said, your team's channels, your CRM, your lease management system, your financial systems. It can build, the, it can build these APIs uh, together uh, with these systems so the systems natively talk together. So it's not kind of an afterthought. It's not something that you have to spend a lot of extra time in. It's able to do that with that process. So that's kind of uh, my piece of it. So I'll wrap it up there and turn it back over to you, Ryan. Yeah, thanks, Donnie. That that's good stuff. Um, you, you know, uh, the the no code, uh, low code uh, um, scenario. Just for those folks that maybe are less technical on the call, can you describe maybe a little more uh, with a little more picture what what that means? What what is no code? What is low code? What's the difference between uh, what we see in the industry there? What they might be familiar with? Yeah, that's a that's a good question because we, we get this a lot because you talk to a lot of technology people, they say no such thing as no code. And that's true. But it's it's no code for the perspective of who is actually developing the system. So in a no code platform, what that means you as the designer, as a developer, again, it's metadata. So you're not generating code. You're going in, you're using tools, using configuration to create an application. And then behind the scenes, when you generate, it actually generates the code for you. So you don't, you don't have to go write uh, uh, Java, JavaScript. You don't have to know any type of coding uh, at all. You can actually create functions all the way through from beginning to end without writing a, a piece of code. So that's really what the no low code is, is where I can implement some code. No code is I'm using the tool, I'm configuring it, building my blueprint with the, with the metadata, and then it generates the code on the backside of things. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Hopefully that helps the the group. If not, um, throw some more uh, questions in the in the chat window. Um, in, in terms of um, 
you know, uh, the what we've been hearing from the other panelists, uh, kind of breaking up what they've had previously, going to software as a service. Um, my sense is that there's some integration requirements here. There's some data quality and uh, uh, governance. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, what it means to future-proof? We hear a lot, a lot of times that the term future-proof and what that means to you guys uh, in support of, um, you know, what I think we're all striving for is really an end-to-end real estate um, uh, life cycle process, right, with these disparate mm-hmm. systems now in, hosted by others in the cloud. Can, can you talk to a little bit about that and, and kind of what it means to future-proof from your perspective? Yeah, this is well, the subject I, lo- I love to uh, dig into and talk about is this future proof, because, again, a lot of people throw it around. But what does that really mean? What it means is being able that part I talked about separation, the, the, the application and the technology. You know, we've all used different tools. I have a, a long background in development for, for 20, 25 plus years. And uh, as you're developing, it's all kind of part of uh, everything's kind of integrated together. So if I build my tables and I want to make changes, it affects everything in the system. You know, um, as, as Jeff pointed out in some of the things he was talking about, it ripples through the whole system. So with these modern technology, these modern platforms uh, and that separation, it's again, it's metadata, it's designing, it's a DNA. I design it, I put it together. I can swap out on the back end on these, these applications or these, these technologies. I can swap out that maybe it may be generating Java uh, right now, but maybe uh, for some reason want to change it out and generate uh, C. I don't have to change my applications. My data doesn't change. It's all through the metadata. The technology can be swapped out, regen the the applications in this this other technology, this other language, and I'm good to go. I don't have to rewrite everything like I I usually do. So there are a lot of benefits to this new technology. Um, I I love what's what's came about. It's something that I think in the the industry, uh, personally, and in dealing with business, I've looked for to have have that flexibility to kind of hedge my bets against what's happened down the road. you know, as we've all been taught over the last year and a half, we don't know what's going to happen at different times. We've got to be able to be flexible in our systems and our old systems are just not flexible enough. It puts a lot of heavy lifting on us and these modern technologies now allow us to uh, really focus in on what is really key to uh, keeping our, our, our lights on and keeping the business moving. Awesome. Thank you, Donnie. We'll have you back uh, with the entire group here uh, once we've finished up. Uh, so thank you again. Um, I'd like to right, now introduce you. Darlene Pope. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to introduce Darlene Pope, uh, president of PlanOn. Uh, as president, uh, she leads the region's executive leadership team to manage strategy and growth in the North America market. Darlene joins PlanOn following a uh, position as uh, vice president, global smart building operations at WeWork, and formerly was executive vice president and global practice lead for the smart building program at Jones Lang LaSalle. Darlene, welcome. It's good to see you again. It's been a while. Um, the floor is yours. Thanks, Ryan. Good to see you as well. Glad to be here. Um, so first of all, uh, thank you for the introduction. Um, I've got about 25 or 30 years of background in smart buildings. So the first thing you may want to ask is, why is a, why did a smart building expert uh, move over to an IWMS company? So I want to talk a lot about that today, and I think it'll help tie in a lot of the comments that the other speakers have had. Um, so just a little bit about PlanOn. Uh, we are the global leader in IWMS. Um, but as we go through this conversation, I want you to kind of think about IWMS a little bit differently than maybe you have traditionally, um, because the, 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 the market has grown tremendously. The requirements, the capabilities of IWMS have grown. Um, we're now all SaaS, open platform, and it's, uh, it's really a different conversation than 
than maybe you've been used to in the past. So the company's about 35 years old. We've got over 850 employees all over the world. It was founded in Nijmegen in the Netherlands. Uh, so it grew very rapidly throughout uh, uh, Europe and Asia. The U.S. market is about, uh, I'd say, seven years old. Uh, uh, we are uh, growing very, very quickly in North America. I came on board about six months ago um, to continue to lead that uh, uh, expansion. We have about 2 million users globally, about 2,600 customers, uh, and 20% of our annual revenue goes directly back into research and development. Uh, we've got a, a massive development team all over the world, um, and everything that we've built has been from the ground up. Uh, we have not been growing um, by acquisition, uh, although you will probably see a lot of that activity going forward. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how companies typically buy uh, solutions. I'm trying to advance my slides here. Hold on one second. There we go. So typically, um, you know, most corporate enterprise clients uh, traditionally have bought point solutions uh, for several different reasons. Um, one of which is because in the past, we haven't really had strong capabilities for integrated workplace management solutions that will bundle that all into one package. There are a lot of packages out there that still don't uh, contain all of the requirements of what you might want to look for in an IWMS. So most companies will buy individual solutions. Another component of that is really how the organization is structured. So you've got your facility management group that's looking for a work order management platform and they're going to buy an ID, a, a CMMS. You've got your energy management sustainability team that's looking for energy management software and they've got a budget and they've got a need so they're going to buy an energy management platform. You've got your corporate real estate team that's looking for utilization data and maybe room booking and how do we manage back to work. So they've got a budget over here and they're going to look for a room booking platform or utilization uh, tool. And so you've got all of these different silos within the organization and different budgets and different needs and different agendas and different timelines. Um, and, and that's one of the major reasons that companies buy point solutions is not that the solutions can't be integrated. It's really that the organization itself isn't integrated. But once you start to look at the beginning of those uh, integrations, you say, hey, it would be, it'd probably be a good idea for us to integrate, you know, this platform with this platform, room booking and space management. Um, and so you might start with one integration there, but then, you know, maybe your energy management is still a separate platform and that's being pushed to the cloud and it's got a completely separate reporting dashboard. And then you start to tie in maybe your CMMS platform with your BMS and you start to have a little of different integrations, you know, starting, but you still don't have the capability of that single source of truth. And the challenge with this type of approach is, first of all, each of those individual applications has a cost associated with it. So you've got the cost to procure, the cost of implementation, the cost of maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. Then you add to that the cost of the integration and maintaining those APIs and making sure that those, those APIs don't break. And it, it just gets very complicated. So trying to do kind of piecemeal integration uh, gets very challenging. Then the second way to do integration of individual point solutions is to try to get a little bit more um, organized in terms of, okay, let's take all of our individual point solutions and pull that into a single API platform, pull that into uh, MuleSoft and manage it that way, which again, better approach um, because then at least you've got that single uh, architecture, but you're still pulling in individual point solutions and having to maintain each individual one, each, each of those APIs, each of those integrations. The challenge with this is that it, these break 
those integrations break very easily. If somebody changes the name of a field in one and in, in one component, it breaks the integration to all the other components. So it is it is very complex to attempt to to bring in multiple disparate point solutions through this type of approach. Um, but it's better than the alternative. But if you move towards what is the the best um, way to really bring all this together, it is with an integrated workplace management solution or an IWMS. So when you look at what PlanOn has to offer, we pull many, if not all of those components into one single integrated platform, one single source of truth, one single dashboard to be able to bring in all of those metrics and do your reporting and do your correlations and, and really understand the data. Um, so if you've got your data in multiple places and you don't have the ability to pull it into a single dashboard, you're really not gonna be able to see big picture what's happening across the organization. And whether that's with your ESG reporting, whether that's with your portfolio and asset management, whether that's with your leasing data, um, it really is important to somehow get that all into the same place so that you can make better business decisions out of the data and out of the insights um, that you're getting from that information. So if you look at all the different components that may be included in an IWMS, and we've mentioned some of them, um, all of your real estate management functions like portfolio management, lease management, transaction management, and then you couple that with space and workplace management. So reservations and room booking and, and space management and utilization and all of those components, bringing in your CAD drawings or your Revit models and pulling all that together. Um, and then connecting that with your asset maintenance management and your, your work order, your tickets, um, and then pulling all that together so that you've got everything in a single platform. One of the benefits of this is that then when you look at that mobile app function that everybody wants a mobile app, everybody wants smart workplace mobile apps and, and that user interface that brings everything together. The challenge is if you have individual point solutions, you're gonna have an app for your room booking and an app for your visitor management, an app for your access control and an app for your work order management. And it's gonna be even more complicated to pull all of those functions into one single integrated mobile app that you can provide to your employees. So a lot of benefits to going to a single platform, but I do agree with all the other panelists that have indicated it has to be SaaS it's got to be open and you have to have the ability to continue to add additional platforms and features and functionality as needed. So, uh, you know, my answer is it's kind of a hybrid. It's a combination of both. It's really taking a look at what are the needs of the organization? How many of those needs can I put in a single platform? Or are there other point solutions that I then want to integrate into that core platform? And then, and then you kind of get the best of both worlds. So, the future, though, I want to talk a little bit about this because this is where you kind of have to think about IWMS differently than you've ever thought of it before, because we have moved from the digital workplace into smart buildings. And now we're looking at the ability to integrate all those traditional IWMS functions with all the new smart building functions. So when you ask why would someone with a background in smart buildings lead an IWMS company, this is why, um, because the future is really about integrating IT and OT. And so now we're looking at integrating the visitor management platform with the access control system and integrating the BMS with the work order management platform. So you default detection and diagnostics on the BMS and it automatically generates a work ticket that's then automatically pushed to an engineer's uh, mobile device uh, so that they can respond to that in the field instantaneously. And so the value of starting to connect both sides of the house, we can only do this 
if we have all of the data in the same place, if we've got open platforms, if we've got APIs, and if we have the ability to connect all that together on the back end. So very exciting future. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about where Plan On is going. Uh, so we do have uh, Schneider Electric is one of our um, minority shareholders. So very strong partnership with Schneider on the smart building side. And we also just acquired a company called Axonize. And Axonize does um, IoT, time series data, digital twins, the ability to take all that data from the buildings and normalize it and be able to then plug that into the power of the plan on platform and, and bring both sides of the house together. So think about IWMS completely differently than you used to um, and look at it as really an open platform, the ability to do all this and also to continue to pull other components together and other systems together. So when you look at that end-to-end -end technology roadmap, it isn't just a one-time purchase, put it in and, and here we go. It's really a long-time long journey. And the first step is really putting together what is your roadmap look like? And I know this is kind of crowded and busy, but all these different departments have different requirements for software. Um, and you've got to put together your plan first and understand how to put it together. You know, what is your strategy so that you can eventually get it to the point where you're pulling it all together and it all works seamlessly. So, Ryan, open to questions. Yeah, thank you, Darlene. Yeah, no, thank you. That, that was great. Um, on that last slide uh, with all the blocks on it, you know, uh, and, uh, we, I think we hit on this with everybody so far. You know, we're, I think the general concept here is that we're trying to facilitate this end-to-end -end um, real estate life cycle, um, uh, you know, uh, processes and, and management. So what, what parts, what, what do you think are the key components? I mean, we've heard data, we've heard integration, um, uh, software as a service solutions. Are there, are there other components of IWMS specifically or that general roadmap strategy that you think are required for a successful end-to-end -end strategy? Well, I think, you know, we've heard it from all the panelists. It's got to be open. It's got to be an open platform. It has to have the flexibility to continue to integrate new applications as you move forward. Um, it's got to have the ability to support mobile devices. It's got to be in the cloud. Uh, you know, the whole world's moving to SaaS models. And so those are the primary components um, of what I would consider a successful IWMS uh, strategy in terms of how do you select the right partner for you. And I also would emphasize the word partner because this, again, it is a journey um, and you need to select a partner who understands all the different pieces of the puzzle and can help you with that technology strategy and can help you identify which one of those components are a component of your IWMS and which one of the components you may want to look for in a third party point solution. But most importantly, how do we then bring that third-party point solution into the IWMS so that it becomes part of that single um, operational function? Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, if I could ask the other panelists uh, to, to turn their video on, I think this is a really good uh, segment uh, for, um, for open Q&A and, and panels. Uh, again, audience, please feel free to submit your questions using the, the Q&A section here. Um, guys, uh, Darlene, I don't know if Keith is able to make it there. There he is, thank you. Uh, make it, um, uh, Darlene was touching there a little bit on strategy, right? So let me, let me ask this, let me pose this question to the group and I'll tweak it slightly, Donnie, maybe for, for you and, and Darlene, but um, what, can, what successes can you guys share? Maybe we'll start with, with Jeff and then go to Keith. 
um, about your partnerships with the other, uh, the, your partner, right? So for Jeff, your tech partner, for Keith, your business partner, um, in the development of this full strategy, right? This long-term strategy, this fully comprehensive strategy. What, what kinds of successes can you share um, there? Jeff, we'll start with you. And then you're muted again, Jeff. That's all right. Yeah, let's go to Keith. Keith, why don't we start with you while Jeff gets his uh, mute off. Sure. Um, so I think for us, the biggest one was um, serious adoption of the idea of data government governance and change management. Um, you know, getting our our partners to really uh, you know, absorb this idea and see why it's important. We had a couple of uh, good uh, examples that helped them learn that um, really made our lives easier because once they start thinking about it early, it means that there's less we have to clean up after. Yeah, good. Data quality, data integrity helps the process along, right, at the end of the day. So Jeff, anything from your end on that? Yeah, I think I'm back now. So uh, we've always really worked closely with our vendor partners. So anytime we've got strategy, for example, there's this mobile rollout, we, we always work with the vendors first to say, hey, what can you guys do? This is what we're thinking. Uh, what can you support? So we, we've always had an open relationship with them to say, this is where we're going. And you know they, they reciprocate and say, this is, this is where we're going. Uh, and, and sometimes they match, sometimes they, they don't. You know, in this case, uh, our existing partners really couldn't support what we were trying to do, so we we went out to market and, and found something else. But uh, you know, definitely le leverage those those vendor connections. Yeah. So, so Donnie, I'll, I'll turn it to you, and then we'll we'll wrap up the question with Darlene since she started it all. But um, kind of twist to the question, right? When you when you are uh, interacting with uh, owner operators here. Um, do you typically see a, a pretty comprehensive uh, uh, roadmap and strategy um, in situations where you don't? Are you helping to consult them, or what does that kind of look like from your perspective? Yeah, we we uh, we typically run in run into both. You know, you have some that has their roadmap laid out where they want to go, and so what we've tried to do is just take uh, like with the platform, the next world platform that that uh, we built our our solutions on, we work with. Is kind of showing that uh, that technology that's out there and how that fits in to and helps them with their roadmap. So and then it also gives us those things to think about. So um, you know if you've got a, a short roadmap but you've got some key things you want to get in uh, get implemented, then we show them how to use that that technology to be able to to fill those gaps and even replace a lot of systems that they currently have. So uh, that's where we're kind of doing what we're doing right now is is showing them. What is out there? What is what is new in the market? What are the, the advantages that they could take, uh, they could uh, uptake in their organizations to be able to use those to to uh, uh, kind of see the results in their in the roadmap and in their organization? Yeah, Darlene, how do, how do you guys approach this situation where where there's either a robust roadmap in place or none at all? How do you guys interact with your? Well, the the, the combination of the roadmap and the partner network, uh, I think, is critical for our success. And as you know, I've got you know many many years of of consulting in that exact area to help customers put together that technology roadmap and understand what are their business requirements, what are their functional requirements, and help them build that model. That 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 uh, screen that I showed was actually from a, a visioning session and a working session with a former client. 
that we help them put together what that looks like. But let me touch on the partner network that's so important. So recognize, you know, plan on is a software, right? We don't do hardware. So when you have to put together an end-to-end -end technology strategy and you need sensors for utilization and you need energy meters and you need um, all the components that someone like a Schneider Electric would provide, uh, those, those are critical room booking panels that run off the plan on platform. So we're the software on the back end that pulls it all together and it takes all the data from all those different systems and, and, and visualizes it. But the partnership with those external partners enables us to come to a customer with a fully bundled solution of components that are already integrated. So, you know, it, it does get complicated if you've got to integrate not only your, your, your enterprise software platforms, but also start to integrate into some of the physical building systems and some of the hardware components. So being able to go to the market with our partner network is critical to our success. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, um, I think you guys would all agree that our industry has been undergoing significant changes over the last maybe three three to five years. If you disagree with me, please include that in your answer or response here. Um, you know, uh, that impact real estate strategy, um, that impact uh, the processes that we have to run our real estate. Um, obviously the global pandemic, which is, which is still, um, you know, probably front and center for, for most of our organizations. Um, cybersecurity breaches, whether that be Internet of Things, uh, uh, real estate related or not, critical infrastructure. There's been plenty of, um, you know, activity going on there. Even before all of this, I think, uh, at least for us, we were focusing really uh, heavily on workplace experience, um, location uh, um, strategies, um, all in hopes that we're decreasing our footprint, right, to, 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 uh, to be more efficient. Um, my point is, or my question really then comes down to, um, how does your roadmap, and then for Darlene and Donnie, maybe how does your product roadmap um, adapt? Uh, but Jeff and Keith, how, how is the roadmap, how have you created the roadmap and ultimately the, the architecture, the enterprise architecture that we're here to discuss? Um, how have you designed that to kind of adopt or adapt to some of these pressures and changes um, that are probably outside of our control at this point? Um, Keith? Um, so I view the ecosystem as something that's that's constantly evolving. And so, uh, you know, we, I, I think, uh, you know, Jeff sort of said the same thing. It's like, well, we we are... Uh, very concrete with our customer about like what the six, next six months or next year will look like. But um, what in my role, uh, my responsibility is to make sure that we are constantly making choices that evolve that system in a direction that we want to go. And so there is no like complete, this thing is installed, we're good kind of state. It's always we are moving in the direction of you know more microservices better um you know data quality more standardization and over time we just get closer and closer and closer excellent uh, jeff yeah so certainly a lot of change in the last few years i mean if you just think about the amount of mobile applications that are available that didn't exist before uh you know the the, the whole COVID thing has changed the workplace 
AIG is going to unassigned seating in pretty much all the new offices, and, and those create new requirements. Now we need a better res reservation system. We need a better way to monitor that information. So as an example, you know, we, we just, I mentioned this in the presentation, we just started integrating with our network data. That was not available three years ago. We, we'd asked the question, but um, they, they actually did an overhaul of their software two years ago that, that wasn't available and that gave us new capabilities. So, you know, as we start, I think the big change for AIG is we're now starting to work more across different applications instead of just kind of focused on that real estate vertical. Um, and, and that's certainly driving our, our strategy. You know, how do we get information from these point solutions that, hey, I've got Canon that, that does our mail and print service. How do I get that information back so that I can add that and look at it and compare that with my headcount and see how much we're spending by square footage and, and look at data that way. Um, so that, that's really what, what's driving us right now. Excellent. Um, Donnie, maybe from a pro, uh, product roadmap perspective, but feel free to interpret how you, how you want. Yeah, so basically um, what we've kind of looked at, and I'm just making some notes here, just kind of thinking you know, over what we've done with, with our customers and with our product. And I think that what makes a difference is that, that platform that we put out there. Because like you said, there's been a lot of changes in our industry over the last five to 10 years. A lot of those changes have come really slow. You know, we've we've all wanted uh, newer things we've seen in other industries faster, and so uh, it's pretty much been slow to get things to move in our in our industry. And so that's kind of where what we've went back and looked at is, you know, if we're going to do things different, if we want to bring the technology faster into our in, in into our uh, into our area, what can we embrace? What can we pull in? And you know, different platforms out there. You know, we talk about the the APIs and how to how to pull those in. You know, like I mentioned earlier in the in the presentation, there are uh, platform tools that are built for that integration. So they're not so much where I have to go back and have a developer write uh, write an integration, write a REST endpoint, write a SOAP endpoint to be able to do that. You know, they're just configurations in those platforms. So that's part of what we looked at: the APIs, um, the embrace the new platforms, and be able to put those into our products. So as as things change then it's easier to update those changes. It's not going back and re-engineering. It's not going back and redeveloping. Again, the no-code, the platform, and the APIs have been critical for what we put together in our, our solutions. Excellent. Darlene, how about you? Yeah, so as I mentioned, you know, 20% of our revenue goes back into uh, development, and, and that's entirely driven by market trends and client demand. So we, our whole development team and our, and our product team keeps a very close eye on what's needed now. Um, so what we're seeing is high demand for return to work solutions that include space management, utilization, reservations, et cetera. You know, we're looking at the home office of being an extension of the traditional workplace now. How do you manage the home office as an extension of your building? Um, and you need software to be able to do all that. Um, we're seeing ESG and reporting capabilities around sustainability and, and diversity and, and governance uh, being very high on the list of what customers need. So we continue to develop our roadmap based on exactly what the market is calling for. But let me go back a little bit and address the, the pandemic. Um, you know, I think everything we've talked about are best practices, regardless of whether or not there's a global pandemic. So the pandemic kind of became a catalyst for all these companies to say, oh my gosh, we don't have the data we need to be resilient and to have that, uh, that, that data that we should have had in the first place. Um, so when you look at kind of that as, as, as the catalyst, 
Uh, every company wants to know what's our utilization, who's coming back to work, how many people are coming back to work. I mean, you can you can read online almost every day somebody's policy around, you know, well, Google predicts that maybe 70% is coming back or so-and-so predicts that 50% are coming back and 60% are coming back. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what other companies' data says. It matters what your company's data says. And so you can read all these statistics around percentage of people coming back, but if you don't know your own numbers for your personnel, that's really where it's critical. So that's why this information is so important to get your own data on utilization, your own data on back to work so that you can best, uh, you know, form your strategy. But, you know, even with this, where you're seeing maybe 70% of the workforce is going to come back to the office and 30% is going to permanently work from home. The people that are coming back, we're finding want more space because we used to design for 150, 200 square feet per person. Then we focused on cramming more and more people into less and less space. And we used to design for 50 to 60 square feet in some of these co-working areas. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and everybody got sick and now we're doing de-densification. So even if we have less people coming back, the people that are coming back want more space. So you gotta figure out what's the data around that to, to, to understand what your workplace strategy is and how much space you need to support your workforce in the, in, in the new yeah. normal. Yeah, let, let me so let me turn 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 it back again over to you, Darlene, with this question. We have a few, we'll say, a little bit more detailed or, or tactical questions in the bar here. Um, we've already talked about data and it's important. You just finished up with data. Um, talk to me about two things. One, um, cybersecurity, generally speaking, we, we've seen a lot of breaches. We so. Um, Talk to us a little bit about the approach plan on taking, um, especially being a software as a service with cybersecurity, uh, and then see if there's a way also though that you can weave in some of the data. Right? So we talked about data quality, uh, data integrity. We've got in the in the chat here, and uh, Keith, I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit more detail about some of the ontology and tool set that you have, but. Um, do they do they play off each other, Darlene? Are they separate concepts? Do they need to come together? How do you guys focus on that as a uh, software uh, solution? No, absolutely, it is critical. Um, and we have a, a global infosec team that spends you know 24 hours a day on all of those uh, security components to make sure that we're in compliance with all of the major um, uh, cybersecurity uh, you know. Uh, 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 standards and compliances there. Um, so from that standpoint, you absolutely have to make sure that you've got the ability to protect that data. But also from a data governance standpoint, you know, having, um, you know, whether it's Haystack or Brick, having the naming conventions and the ability to to really understand your data and have similar names for your data and, and the ability to tag the data. I think that's as critical as the security of the data. Because if you don't have the same naming conventions, you can't pass data from one to another. Um, so I think there's a probably a whole uh, another four-hour conversation, if not more, on data, data governance, data security, data management. But absolutely, it's a yeah, primary agree component of, of what our InfoSec team does. Yeah. Yeah, I could, couldn't agree more, Darlene. Do, Donnie, how about you? So cybersecurity and, and data governance or data quality or data structure, maybe, what we can call it. Yeah, so uh, you know, basically, you know, kind of the, the same stuff what we've done with our applications. You know, SOC one, SOC two compliance. So not only do you have uh, you know kind of that that uh, documentation that things are in place, but actually the auditing is behind it. So you can give your customers confidence that you know you're taking every every step that makes sure their data is secure, 
that you know that everything is taken care of uh, for them. And then and then two as part of that is you know kind of the the kind of the uh, the pass uh, side of things too. You know where's your data sitting is very important. You know who who's responsible for that? Is it you know like we use AWS, but is it AWS? Is it Oracle or or, or IBM? Who who is responsible for your data? Also you know plays into what you're looking at. You know it's not just my applications might be SOC one, SOC two, but what about uh, my data? Where it's at? Now, so those are key things to look at as well. And then also on the data governance. Uh, again, ours is a little different because it is a no code. It is a metadata. So I can easily change and adapt. So the way that the metadata piece of it works is if you have, uh, you call a, a data item, you know, one thing in another system, and I want to change mine to match that, I can, and it doesn't affect my, my program. Again, it's metadata. So behind the scenes, it's basically just a, a string of numbers linking things together. Together, but what I see is an actual name, and I can I can adjust synonyms and things on those at time together. So some platforms make it easier than others uh, to do that, but uh, those are kind of some key issues, I think, uh, to look at as part of your, your security and your data management side. Yeah, I'm glad, glad you pulled in the no code because I was actually going to ask about that in the data governance. So th thanks for including that in the in the topic. Jeff, you mm -hmm. you covered uh, some data governance. Um, any uh, and I, I know you'd mentioned some cybersecurity. Please feel free to uh, expand on it if you wish. But from a data data governance perspective, have you guys adopted standards? Is that have you found that that helps? If you have, or what what's been your approach up to this point? Most of our data governments is around uh, office address and people location assignments and, and trying to keep that in sync with other systems. And, you know, we, we obviously pass our data downstream to other systems and make sure that our data is consistent. So we're, we, we have applied some data governance there and uh, try to keep that, you know, in, in sync. And, you know, you, you don't want to be in the situation where people downstream are telling you you've got problems with your data. So it's really important that you're on top of that. As far as cybersecurity goes, uh, one thing I'll say about SaaS versus on-prem, we probably have a developer that's just full-time fixing vulnerabilities, um, whereas SaaS, they they take care of all of it. So, you know, that that's definitely a benefit for SaaS. Uh, we've, we've been seeing a lot more vulnerabilities later where I think the IT team's scanning more, um, but but it's taking you know, one of my development resources full time just just to keep up on that stuff. So something to think about. Yeah, good. Thanks, Keith. Um, over to you. Uh, uh, you know, you had mentioned the ontology. Can you can you talk a little bit about a little bit more in depth about what that is, comparison to some of the other groups or standards or tools out there, and what what would be your advice to to the the community here on on what to do next? So. This is a complicated space, man. I could probably talk for hours about this, but um, the the goal of an ontology, in my mind, is to create a model of your universe, whatever your universe may be. This might be IoT devices, it might be you know your physical buildings, it might be some combination of both um, that has the information in it that you want to. Uh, fulfill the critical user journeys uh, of your users that you care about, and and ideally not not more than unique, right? Because modeling this stuff is expensive, um, and that you want to choose an ontology that makes it easy for you to do that. Depending on what you want to do, different ontologies are you know, better than others. And I think they have, they all have 
features and trade-offs. Um, Haystack's kind of your most, uh, probably your uh, ontology with highest adoption right now. There are a number of companies that, you know, that are Haystack compliant. Um, the challenge with Haystack is that um, Haystack, uh, first of all, only very recently um, brought in the concepts of relationships. So I don't think that support super widely adopted yet. Um, the other is that it's not particularly opinionated about how you label your data. Um, and that can be challenging because, uh, you know, if you have an ontology and it's not applied consistency, it doesn't give you anything. Um, and so uh, one of the things that we tried to solve with our ontology is, is actually to be much more opinionated um, and to uh, make sure that when you, um, when you tag a thing or name a thing, that that name has very specific meaning, and that um, uh, and really build the the ontology and the tools to make it easy to be consistent. Um, and we thought that was very important. Relationships are also very important, I think, in this day and age. Um, uh, digital buildings, both digital buildings and Haystack and Brick, uh, you know, all have relationships. We kind of all shared the same concept there. Um, and then the last bit of it, and this is something that we're actively working on, is you know, what is the tooling for your ontology? Are there th things um, in that ecosystem that make it easy for you to model your data, transform your data between whatever the native system is and your ontology, uh, store that data, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, I, and again, all of the systems sort of differ in what they provide. Um, you know, Haystack has a lot of with, um, I forgot what it's called, uh, their, their cloud, right? They have a lot of things that sort of, you wanna invest in that ecosystem. They have a lot of things that uh, help you natively work with it. Brick and Haystack, um, you know, have less, or sorry, uh, Brick and digital buildings have less of that today, but probably will have more in the future. Um, you know, I assume Microsoft also has a fair amount of, you know, native tooling for what they do, um, but I don't really know their ecosystem super well. So I think that. Okay. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah, that that's that's great. Um, so we are down to probably just another couple minutes here. I'm going to take a page out of the Jim Young playbook, and just ask each of you 30 seconds. Um, you know, what's the most important thing that you want uh, the audience to take away from today's discussion, or maybe you weren't able to get fitted into the discussion around enterprise architecture for real estate. Darlene, we'll start with you. Well, I think the most important thing is it's gotta be flexible, it's gotta be open. Um, and I would encourage you to think about IWMS in a way that you haven't thought about IWMS before and really look at that full end-to-end -end technology landscape um, and figure out what your plan and your strategy is and then who the partners are that you want to uh, implement with. Excellent, thank you. Uh, Donnie? Yeah, um, I guess for me, it would be uh, uh, for, for those to kind of take a look at the, what's the latest technology out there, like, like with our platform, what we're on, you know, it doesn't have to be the, the same old, same old. There are enterprise grade uh, uh, no-code platforms out there. We talk about a lot and encourage everybody to take a look at it and dig into it and see what it's about. It is, uh, has some really good features. 
can help in a lot of areas. Uh, and it is a redefining that ERP. It's not the same old ERP anymore. It's different. I called them lazy ERP in the past. It takes it so far and, they, and then they stop. But uh, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. There, there's a lot of changes. So take a look at those and, yep. and, uh, and get, a, get a look at it. Good advice. Good advice. Jeff, how about you? Uh, for those of you out there on legacy systems, you know, with constrained budgets, uh, go to the go to the market, see what's out there. You, you might be able to find a SaaS solution and and make a, a small project at one time investment and and find some savings over years and and upgrade your current system. So don't don't feel like you have to be constrained with what you have today. Uh, Keith, yeah, I would say um, for my part, if you're concerned with flexibility. Um, be concerned with um, how you model and how you keep track of your data, um, that it's consistent and it's well known what your, uh, what the information is and what it means. Uh, well, um, thank you all. Uh, this has been a fantastic panel. Um, we appreciate the time that you've spent with us today. I'm sure just by the sound of what you guys have going on, you are super busy. So thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, um, to provide knowledge. Uh, same with the audience. Thank you all. I see we've we've been able to hold a pretty good crew the entire uh, hour hour and a half that we've been doing this. So thank you all for your time, Sarah. Again, thank you for um, offering uh, the uh, facilitator position, moderator position. I appreciate it. It's been a great topic, and I will hand it back to you. Thank you so much, Ryan. I think you did an excellent job leading the conversation. And thanks to all the panelists for your contributions and um, your time and efforts in preparing the event. I really appreciate it. And also thanks to the audience from me. I um, really appreciate you joining us today. I do want to invite you to join us for our um, next webinar, which is coming up next week. We'll talk about smart building strategies. So go a little bit more into detail on some of the strategies that are coming up. And then, of course, we have our conference coming up um, in November. We will actually start on October 31st with a fun day. So you'll be able to play golf. Uh, there's a, a wave pool, I believe, and other fun activities going on on that Sunday. And then on Monday, we have a pre-conference day. We have the cybersecurity forum in the morning. And then in the afternoon, some role-specific um, events going on simultaneously. And then on uh, Tuesday, we'll kick off the conference with a general session. We have tri uh, five consecutive tracks going on um, with breakout sessions in the afternoon. In the evening, we'll have our Digi Awards um, to kind of nominate and celebrate those in the industry that um, have gone above and beyond. And um, we'll celebrate those that evening. And then the next morning, our Smart Building Best Practice Showcase to um, kind of feature some of the best um, buildings and projects, campuses around the globe. And then we'll um, close up the conference with some additional um, breakout sessions until the afternoon. So hopefully you'll be able to join us in Scottsdale this year. And with that, I want to wish everyone a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Bye-bye.